Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean, but they had also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You all may be seated. Well, Jesus, we do thank you for the breath in our lungs today. Yeah, we thank you, God, for um, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And today we ask that you would turn the dead places of our hearts um, alive again. God, that you would turn dry bones into living and moving body parts. And um, that Holy Spirit, you would do a healing work in our community. And so we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your scripture Thank you that you've promised us um, maturity when we grow together and each do our part. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak, to move, and to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hi, everyone. Hi. It's good to see everybody. Um, didn't, isn't Josh amazing? Didn't he do such a great job? Thank you, Josh. Yeah, we, we got to know Josh a few years ago um, doing campus ministry work. Uh, Josh was, was sort of like a part of a tag team, vagabond group that was going around pursuing revival on college campuses. And so it was only natural that we would run into each other and uh, be fast friends. But he made a quick and long drive down from Indianapolis today after teaching and leading worship at his church this morning to uh, worship and lead worship with us and lead us tonight. So thank you, Josh, for, for joining us. What a, what a gift. Um, 
It's good to be with everyone again. It has been a couple months. Um, I hope this summer has been full of times of being present with your friends and your family. Um, and just talking about the presence of God and just this, this longing for the presence of God. Um, I found myself longing for the presence of Maddie and Haven <laughs> this summer after an intense spring, um, as well as, you know, a pre- the presence for, for God also um, for the sake of not being sacrilegious. Um, but we, we had great family time. We got away um, a couple of vacations. Maddie and I did a trip to Charleston, which was fantastic. If you've ever been to Charleston or if you know anyone who's been to Charleston, they would say Charleston is great for food and it's great for architecture. You know, it looks like, um, it looks like uh, the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Walking around and, and I was thinking of the architecture. I thought, man, this all looks so old. You know, it seems like Pirates of the Caribbean. And somebody... You know, one of our tour guides kept saying, and that was a pirate tavern, and that building was a pirate tavern, and that building, and I thought, well, there were at least a lot of pirates here, so my intuition wasn't that far off. <laughs> but we had a good time. On the last day, we were scheduled to drive back on a Monday morning, it was Sunday night, and we were out. I noticed that my tire had a bubble in it, so we stopped to get the tire changed. About 5 p.m. on a Sunday evening, the tire uh, was being changed, and it started raining. Now, the second thing you'll hear about Charleston is that when it rains, it floods because it sits four feet below the ocean level, but sits on the ocean. And um, I discovered that on the nightly news later um, after we had been stuck in some flooding. So we had our tires changed and we, uh, we, we went to drive back to our hotel. I took a left turn off of the interstate into some flash flooding. Now, it wasn't as bad as you know, flash flooding that we've seen in the eastern part of the state, and our, our prayers are absolutely with them. But it was enough that I was very scared, and um, I would say we, I lost my cool a little bit, uh, thinking I'm going to flood the engine. Uh, everywhere I went, there was standing or moving water that I was wondering, is this going to total my vehicle? And in the middle of that somewhere, I uh, accidentally hopped a curb because I couldn't see it because it was underwater and ripped my bumper out of, uh, out of place. And we did eventually make it back to the hotel, put, popped our bumper back on, new tire, still good to go. And we got out the next morning, five miles on the interstate and a car in front of us kicked up a rock and shattered our windshield. That shattered is an extreme word, but definitely spider webbed it. So we spent the next hour there um, having our windshield replaced and made it all the way back to Kentucky that night to Corbin where our bumper fell off again. (laughs) And so we had a wonderful conversation with a nice man in his trailer as he fixed our bumper, made it back to Lexington at 8 p.m. So um, presence, it was worth it being in Maddie's presence for those few days. I hope you all have had some good family time as well this summer, friendship time, face-to-face time. We're going to be talking about relationships today and friendships. So the, the, the scripture that um, Hazel just read for us talks about the unity of the church and the growing up into the full measure of the likeness of Jesus. And what you'll read in that passage is that our unity and a move of the Holy Spirit, the filling of God's love, are tied in together. So the case that I want to make up front as we begin to talk about this is that social media and smartphone technology has absolutely and fundamentally changed the way that we communicate with one another. So no um, 
no real revelation in that statement, but that's where I want to start talking about the state of friendships. Now, I remember my junior year of college, there was a guy on my dorm floor who told me one night that he had 87 uh, texts. And I thought, man, 87 texts, like, that's a lot of people you're communicating with. That's a lot of friends. I started to feel left out. I mean, I thought, why do I not have a lot of texts in my text message inbox? And, you know, I began to feel a little undesired compared to him. But it turns out that he had his Twitter account connected to his text message inbox. So if those of you are from the Stone Age, like me, old enough to remember the inception of Twitter, you used to run Twitter off of your text message inbox because people didn't have smartphones back in the day. So you would send texts as tweets and you would receive tweets as text. And so my friend hadn't received 87 texts, he'd received 87 tweets. And he was counting strangers on Twitter like personal acquaintances and their tweets as personal messages. And of course, we know this isn't the case today, right? We have hindsight enough to realize that it's not the same. But in the early days of social media, we actually thought that we could replace face-to-face conversations with digital messaging. We thought we could replace conversations with friends, with tweets or texts from strangers. Sherry Turkle says that our attempts to maintain relationships through technology actually reduces conversation and human intimacy to mere digital connection. Social media and smartphone technology has left us confused about what the substance of true friendship really is. Because 87 tweets from a stranger is just not the same thing as 87 texts. No, sorry. 87 tweets from a stranger is not the same thing as 87 minutes. That's what I was going for. (laughs) Across the table in conversation with a friend, right? And it's had an effect, smartphone technology and digital communication on our friendship status. There's a survey called the American Perspective Survey, and it has documented the relational health of Americans for the last few decades. And I wanna share the data from 1990 and the most recent data from 2021, and I think you can see it up there on the screen behind me, but in 1990, there were, let's see, 27% of Americans who self-reported to have three, three or fewer close friends, with three, 3% saying they had no close friends at all. You fast forward three decades, uh, smartphone technology, digital communication, and the same survey, half of Americans now claiming to have three or fewer close friends, 13% of us claiming to have no friends at all. Three to 13% of Americans saying they have no close friends at all. The world has never been more connected, but we have never been more alone. Being constantly connected online, it's like eating a lot of junk food and candy. You can consume as much as you want. You can feel full, but you're gonna be bloated. Consuming a lot of digital messaging is going to be like consuming a lot of junk food. It's going to leave you incredibly malnourished. As communication technologies improved, we've actually become hungry for real friendship. You see, we enjoy the convenience of digital messaging, but we are starved for the meat of life. We're starved for real human relationship, true communion. We're hungry for true community. And I think this longing is actually placed in our hearts by God because a lack of true community is not a spiritually neutral position. 
So a lack of true community, not having friends or close friendships in the faith, is not a spiritually neutral thing. It takes a, a quick survey of scripture to tell us that it's actually, it's a negative thing. It, it, it holds us back in our spiritual lives and our life with God. A, a, a survey of the scriptures will show you that if you're socially superficial, then you'll remain spiritually shallow. But there's good news for us. Because today in our passage from Ephesians 4, Paul shows us that the opposite is also true. If we grow in true community, then we will grow in God. So listen to this from the words of Paul. He says, We each have been given gifts so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow in all things up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So in this passage, we hear these powerful words that we each have been given gifts, that we are all one body, unified, that we will together become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we are joined together as supporting ligaments, and that we can build each other up in love as each part does its work. Together, parts, body, growing and maturing together in love. Grow together and you will grow in God. And so what I want to do with the rest of the message tonight is kind of link these ideas. I want to share from this passage what growing together looks like and why unity will precede a move of the Spirit, right? An anointing of the love of God over a group of people and how we can take this moment in our church to commit together again this fall in a fresh way. Sound good? Awesome. Well, I want to start by showing from this passage that real community and growing together means that we will share our lives in three key ways. You ready for key way number one? Key way number one to share our lives together is to share our spiritual riches. To share our spiritual riches. So I'm not talking about financial riches here. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, spiritual riches, or as Paul calls them, spiritual gifts. It says that each of us is given a gift for the growth of the, of the community. And in this passage, he lists five potential ones, right? If you might, might be familiar with them as the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, evangelists. You know, this list in Ephesians 4, it's not exhaustive. There are a few different gift lists in the New Testament. None of them are exhaustive, and I think all of them together still don't complete the innumerable ways that God has given us to bless one another. I like to think of the spiritual gifts like this, like a um, Christmas morning with presents under the tree. And so don't take this uh, analogy too far. I think you'll run into a lot of problems, but I like to imagine um, Jesus as Santa Claus. <laughs> like I said, don't take it too far um, and don't email me. I like to imagine Jesus as Santa Claus and us as his children. Um, in the scriptures, I, we get this idea that each of us has at least one gift under the tree, but probably many gifts under the tree. And it's our joy to take the gifts that we have our name written on them, to open up that gift, and then to hand it to someone else. 
that's the picture that you get uh, when reading Paul, is that the gifts are given to you. They have your name on them. They're, they're your abilities that God has given you spiritually, but they're for the blessing of other people. And I don't know about you all, but growing up, I wasn't necessarily good at, at this, right? If I shared, you know, Christmas present opening in the morning with, you know, family members who were around my age. I was usually trying to steal their gifts, you know, like someone else got slippers, I would put them on before they'd have the chance to get to them, that type of thing. But it's the exact opposite picture that Paul gives us. It's that these gifts are meant to be twice given gifts. Yes, they have our name on us, have our name on them, but they're to be given away to other people. So the first way we can grow together is to share our spiritual gifts. And the second way we can grow together is to share other people's burdens, to share other people's burdens. Paul says this, share and bear with one another in love. Life sometimes, it can weigh us down. Grief, pain, death, loss, depression, pandemics. Sometimes life just feels weightier than other times. Processing the heavy things of someone else's life will actually grow you together with them into real community. There's a maturing process that you'll both go through. Um, there's this book called Tribe, uh, written, I forget the author's name, but it's a study of uh, communities throughout history that have been the, the thickest and strongest. And he says that the number one thing that builds people together, that grows people together is is sharing the hard things in life, sharing loss, sharing death, sharing suffering. In the book, The Relational Soul, the author says that suffering has no answers, but it does carry an invitation. It invites us into mystery. It, it invites us into surrender without explanation to something we cannot understand. In the dark helplessness of our suffering, sometimes, something can happen within ourselves and our community. The mystery of suffering proves to be a profound pathway into experience with God. Suffering is not on the periphery of our life together. In fact, Jesus died and suffered on the cross on our behalf. Indeed, suffering is at the very core of our community's origins and life. And so a healthy community teaches us how to hold suffering in innumerable ways. We bear one another's burdens. We share in the fellowship of suffering. We partake in this life together. And that means the reality of death and dying. This is done time and again. It marks us as Christians. It distinguishes us as Jesus people. If you want to grow together in real community, share spiritual riches, share others' burdens. And the third way, to grow together is to share commitments. Because I think God wants us to have friendships where we share burdens and riches, but this will only happen when we share common commitments. And, and like, I know commitment is a, a scary word. It's loaded because of the day and the age we live in. It's loaded because of the hurt from previous communities that we carry or previous friendships or families. It, it feels like if we commit to things, then, um, then we give a part of ourself away that potentially was once safe. I think the reality of this and the flip side of, of that very real concern is just this, that we live in a preference-based 
society. So in a preference-based society, we come and go based on our current desires and emotions. There are a few long-standing friendships and relationships because everyone is self-interested. You can't share your riches or your burdens with others if you only engage in community when you desire it or when you feel like it. If your relationships are preference-based, you will not share your gifts. You won't be able to share others' others' burdens because your desires and preferences are at war with self-denial. Your desires and preferences are at war with self-sacrifice, and so you won't share the necessary parts of life that bring us together if our relationships are built on preferences, desires, and emotions. And that's why this commitment word is so important. And Paul does this whole buildup in Ephesians 4 where he talks about sharing gifts. He talks about bearing with one another in love. And, and, and the reason is why. You know, why is that reason? Well, it's to maintain the unity of the spirit of peace. Paul says these are the important commitments that allow them to go through that level of self-sacrifice together. He says you were called to one hope, to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, to one God, one Father, who is over all and through all and in all. In Paul's words, we overcome preference-based friendship through a common commitment to a person, through a common commitment to Jesus. And so commitment to Jesus is what allows us to overcome preference-based relationships. It's our commitment to Jesus that actually makes us more than just Sunday event attendees. So at Arise, we talk about this a lot. We talk about the value of community. We talk about doing life together. And it's because we're committed to Jesus that we're drawn into this shared experience and shared journey of following God together. Jesus makes us more than preference-based friends because in order to live out our commitment to Jesus, it means living out the Christian lifestyle, which is impossible to do on your own. When you're committed to following Jesus, you're committed to the journey of following him and carrying his mission into the world, drawn into community. And so I'm really excited about the fall here at Arise because we have a few different ways that we can journey together in following Jesus. You guys are ready to hear about these ways? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really excited about them. Um, some of them were hit in the announcements before earlier, but if you were confused um, when they announced banding, we're not asking people to join a rock band so you don't have to play like the drums. <laughs> we're asking uh, people to join discipleship bands. Discipleship bands. So in October, we'll do a refocus and sort of a relaunch on these bands. And what they are are communities of three to five people who get together once a week or every other week to discuss accountability questions and also discern where the Spirit is leading them in their everyday lives. So even in house church, I mean, you're in a setting with like 10 to 20 people. Some of them you know, some of them you may not know as well. It's not always going to be the safest place for us to share what is going on in the deepest recesses of our soul, right? We're not going to know everyone well enough in the house church setting to be able to disclose the most vulnerable parts of our lives. There's just not going to be the strength of trust and relationship for people to be able to carry that with responsibility. 
So that's where discipleship bands come into play. I mean, if you want to grow together with people who know you, who know your story, where you know theirs, where you're praying for each other's families, you're talking about your struggles and successes, where you see the Spirit and Scripture speaking in your, in your life, then discipleship bands is a great way to link together and to build like real meaty friendships this fall. Another way is to join Alpha. So the Alpha course, it's a 10-week dinner series based around discussion about the questions of life and faith. So it's essentially a seeker-oriented dinner series where um, we just talk about the basic truths of Christianity, have open conversation, anything goes, any comment flies. Um, it's non-judgmental, but it's a place where people can really get out what it is that they're struggling with about um, life, faith, and Christianity. And they can be heard. And there's something about that being heard and, and, and just still being accepted that breaks down walls and barriers between people and Jesus. It's a really beautiful process to watch. And so if you have people in your life that you're like, man, I would just love to journey with them around some of these questions around the person of Jesus or their doubts and struggles, then bring them to Alpha. It's a perfect setting to grow together with them and to explore a, a fresh journey in God. And I will say this, for people in Arise who've done Alpha, I often hear it is their favorite thing that they've done with Arise. Um, sorry, uh, house churches and house church leaders. And man, I wish my preaching were at the top of the list. But Alpha, and, and Max has done a fantastic job with Alpha, often tops the charts. And then in the fall, we're going to start monthly prayer and worship. Man, we want so badly to be a community that encounters the presence of God together. We value it. We talk about it all the time. These moments of personal awakening, encountering the love of God, receiving intimacy with Jesus. And there's something about, you know, like really singing for a long time in a house church setting that doesn't always feel entirely natural. We have awesome worship leaders who help facilitate those spaces. But it has become obvious to us that if we want to build a culture of prayer and worship, if we want to build a fire of the presence of God and an encounter in our community, one that can kind of build steam and propel us on to the place that we know that we're called to as a community, then prayer and worship is going to be central to that. And so come be a part of those prayer and worship nights. They're going to be just set aside times of adoring God, focusing on Jesus, and growing in a life of prayer and intercession. And then, of course, house church. In the fall, we're going to have a, a, a house church reset. It is a natural time to recommit to house church. And for us, these micro communities of 10 to 25 people who eat a meal, pray, discuss scripture, um, sing together, these are the most important communities within the life of Arise. Um, this fall is a natural time to recommit to your house church. You know, it's not uncommon knowledge that the average churchgoer today attends twice a month, right? You hear that stat a lot of times. And for us, as people who are committed to doing house church, to living out this vision of life together, we cannot transfer two times a month attending from the four walls of a black box building to the four walls of a home or a living room and expect to experience real community. 
We kind of have to get out of this trend of casual attendance and, and begin prioritizing afresh actually meeting together. And I know for a lot of us, it is really hard because we travel and, you know, even Maddie and I, we're gone a, we're gone a good bit and it's, it's hard sometimes to make it back for those Sunday gatherings. And I want to say that is okay, <laughs> totally okay, because house church and being in a house church is more than committing to a gathering, it's committing to a community. It's okay sometimes to miss a Sunday gathering because you're doing life with people Monday to Saturday. Those relationships are still there. Your house church isn't an event, it's a group of friends. Your house church is a group of people who are practicing the way of Jesus and living on mission together. So re-upping in house church this fall simply means to committing in a fresh way to journeying with a community of people who are trying to follow Jesus. And this fall I'm excited because we're going to intentionally facilitate house churches that are more defined by their community life than by event attendance. So we're going to be really intentional about facilitating house churches that are more defined by their community life than event attendance. Does that make sense? And we're going to do that by helping each house church to develop the practices of Jesus and the missional ethos that can organically take root and grow up within the individual house church family. We're going to do a 10-week focus on the table this fall that will help us set a trajectory of moving beyond Sunday worship and into practicing the spiritual disciplines and a missional life together. And so now is the perfect time, wherever you are in the house church journey, to get on board, to re-up, to hop all the way in, to recommit, because breaking through social superficiality and joining the life of the spiritual family, it's important for you. The scriptures say it, God says it, we need one another to grow up into Jesus, to receive his love, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. If we unify this fall, there's a good chance that we invite an outpouring of the love of God for our community. Do you all feel that? I feel that. Paul mentions these things, spiritual riches, others' burdens, commitment to Jesus, and he talks about the result that I've mentioned a couple times already, that we would attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That means all of it. That means the whole measure of the love that Jesus has to offer us, we will attain it together together. And this language is familiar to us because we find it already in Ephesians 3, those of us who've been doing the Paul study, where Paul's talking about this beautiful prayer. You know, I pray to the Father every night on my knees that you would be filled with the love of Jesus. And so many of us, we pray that in our devotional lives. We say, yes, God, I want to be filled. As Paul says just a few verses earlier, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and depth of the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. I want that. I want to know that love of God. And that prayer ends with, so that we can attain the whole measure of fullness in Christ. Do you see that connection between Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4? We reach unity in faith to become more mature and to attain the whole measure, the love of God that he wants to pour out on our lives, on our families. It happens together. Unity invites the filling of God's love, a communal anointing of his presence. 
And of course, like the early church does this really well, right? Like we can't really talk about this kind of community without pointing back to the early church. And so I'm going to do that kind of as a, as a close. Is that all right? In the year 250, about 100, uh, year 250, yeah, year 250, so it'd be about 200 years after Jesus had left the earth, we find the Christian movement at around 1.1 million people and 2% of the population. So that's a 200-year time. The 50 years following that, from 250 to 300, the Christian movement explodes. It grows from 1.1 million to 6.5 million. It goes from 2% of the Roman population to 10% of the entire Roman population. I mean, that is a big move of God. I would say that's an outpouring of God's love, wouldn't you? So the question is, what happened in between that time? What happened? Well, the story goes, and historians would tell us that in the year 250, there was a pandemic. And it was a deadly, deadly disease that hit the Roman Empire. They say that it actually wiped out somewhere between a third and a quarter of the entire Roman population. It's a lot of people. And that's where we find Christians at their finest. An early Christian bishop who was alive during this time named Dionysus wrote about how Christians united in love in the middle of this deadly disease, this pandemic. He says, most of our brother Christians, they showed unbounded love and loyalty. They didn't spare themselves. They only thought of one another. Heedless of the danger in front of them, they took in the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For those who hosted were infected by others with the disease. They brought on themselves the sickness of their neighbors. They cheerfully accepted their pains. Many in nursing and curing, for the, curing the sick transferred the death of this disease to themselves and died in their patient's stead. The best of us lost our lives in this manner. A number of our deacons and church leaders and just regular church people, they won a high commendation in their death. The result of their great love and purity and faith seems in every way equal to martyrdom. He goes on to say, but you know, our pagan counterparts behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their loved ones. They threw them into the roads before they had died of their sickness, and they treated unburied corpses as dirt. They didn't touch them, afraid to take on the fatal disease. But what do they might, what do but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape the pandemic. So basically, the pagans were throwing their sick family members onto the street. But Christians who were not even blood related were taking in the sick of their own community, risking death, risking infection. That's why the Christian movement grew 55 times in 50 years. It's because in Dionysus' word, they had unbounded love and loyalty. They did not spare themselves and thought only of each other. That's good. Christians took in their own sick, risking death to maintain love and unity, and the movement exploded. The love of God poured out lavishly on the church. So on the heels of our own pandemic, what do you think the story will be of our church, Little Arise, our little house church communities? What do you think the story will be of the church of Lexington in 50 years? 
what will the next five decades bring for us? Will we meet God's love and will he fill us in this difficult time? Well, I think the answer to that question, much of it will be determined by the substance of our relationships, being the strength of our unity and the love that we show each other in these very, very difficult times. Do you want to know God's love? Then grow in unity. The early church leader Tertullian said that it was our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in every way in the eyes of our opponents. Only look, they say, look at how the Christians love one another. The early church grew together and grew in God. His love quickly followed them and they were filled to the full measure of Jesus. Many times, you know, in this whole house church, I'll say this in conclusion, many times in this whole house church journey, I'll hear people say, man, this invitation into these kind of relationships, you know, relationships where I actually share what I have to offer with others, where I take on their burdens, where I have a common commitment in Jesus, this is, this is really challenging. And I get that, I understand that, because these types of relationships strike at the cultural and even church idols that keep us spiritually shallow. But many times the same people who say that this type of community seems challenging will also say that they have a deep, deep longing for it. The call to grow together and to have family-like community is one that resonates deeply within our hearts. We feel compelled into it, pushed into it. 13% of us say we don't have close friends, loneliness, depression, anxiety, rule our day. These emotions and statistics we know deep down don't reflect the fullness of life. They don't reflect the full measure of the love of God that's offered us in scripture. And the world is waiting for Jesus followers to band together and to present a counter-cultural, an attractive counter-culture or a redemptive alternative to the shallow relationships that are offered to them in everyday life. We are hungry for it. They're hungry for it. Will we allow God to move in our community in a way that provides a redemptive alternative and creates a welcoming ground for the love of God? Our house churches can be that attractive counterculture. They can be that redemptive alternative. We exist to awaken the world to the reality of Jesus and a fresh commitment to banding, to prayer and worship nights, to alpha to our house churches, they just may precede a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah. The Spirit desires for groups of Jesus' followers to unify so that he is a place to pour out the lavish love on God, love of God on us. So wherever you find yourself in the life of Arise today, whether you're not in a house church or whether you're on the periphery or whether you're entrenched, you know, in the, in, the, in the deepest parts of house church life, the invitation is the same. Re-up this fall. Join us together in these spiritual rhythms. Grow together and grow in God.